0: Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month, taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees, we're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.
1: Welcome to Recode Media, Peter Kafka. That is me. Today, I've got a great show for you on Disney and Disney CEO Bob Chapek and Florida's newly passed anti-gay law. We will get there in a minute. First, I wanted to say thank you very much for all the kind words and useful feedback about the new media column I'm writing for Vox.com. Please, please, please keep it coming. In particular, I'd love to hear about what you want to read about or if you think I got something wrong. Praise is good too, but but, uh, constructive criticism is great. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you somehow miss this, well, I'll tell you, last week I started a media column for Vox. And if you like the stuff we talk about on this podcast, media and tech and how they intersect, I think you will like the column too. It's out every Wednesday and like this podcast, it is free. Okay, so today I wanted to cover something that's been percolating for a while and doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. It's the story of Disney, Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, which is now a law, and the way Disney CEO Bob Chapek stumbled when it came to that bill slash law and other high profile problems during his pretty short tenure. There's a lot to unpack there, so I brought in two smart people to help me do that. First, Matt Bellany from Puck talked to me about the Disney side of it, why Bob Chapek is running Disney, who Bob Chapek is, the challenges he's had running it from the jump, and why it's not just conservatives who are upset with Chapek at Disney, but his own employees and his own investors, and why people are already openly discussing who might succeed him as early as next year. And then the New York Times' Jake Koston, my old coworker from Vox.com, comes on to explain what's actually in the Don't Say Gay Law what it's meant to do, and why it's so odious, and why it's the kind of issue that might go away for Disney eventually, but it's sure to resurface for other companies down the line. Okay, enough of me. Here's me and Matt Bellany. I'm talking to Matt Bellany of Puck. You guys remember Matt Bellany? He was on last year when Puck was a up-and-coming uh, news subscription paywall insidery service, and Matt was hoping to make a name for himself, and now he's a big shot. Uh, welcome, Matt. Says you,
2: I I uh, from your lips to the world's ears. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Everyone I talk to in this business is reading your newsletter, and that includes myself. I'm a paying customer. Thanks for coming on. I wanted to talk to you about Disney and specifically Bob Chapek, um, who is the CEO of Disney. So he should be one of the most powerful and influential people in entertainment. And he's under a ton of fire internally, externally. Um, there's an open question about whether he will have that job in a year. And you are a good person to talk to all about that. First of all, let's start with, with, tell us who Bob Chapek is because prior to taking the job at the beginning of the pandemic, I think most people in media did not know him.
2: No, he has been a career Disney manager. He spent a lot of time in Home entertainment. Some time in the studio division, he was running parks and consumer products, and had developed a reputation there for, um, you know, expanding the parks and squeezing a lot of profits out of them. But he was not the most beloved person among the Disney parks community. Then, you know, Iger, as everybody knows, has had a problem picking a successor. Um, he, out of the blue, right as the pandemic is getting going, he says. A, I'm leaving. B, here's your new CEO, and it's Bob Chapek. And
1: there had been there been a series of bake-offs for Bob Iger's job. I think a lot of people thought Kevin Mayer was going to get that, including Kevin Mayer. Um, any idea why Iger picked Bob Chapek to finally succeed him?
2: You know, from what I have discerned, it was a, first of all, he needed it to happen. He was, you know, had one foot out the door and he had put off his retirement several times already. And there was a sense that Disney had gone through a period of rapid growth through the acquisitions of Marvel and Pixar and Fox. And he he ultimately decided that it needed a strong manager, that for all the things that Chapek that lacked, you know, the kind of statesman-like quality, the visionary. He wanted someone who would be a manager, taskmaster, looking at the PNLs, and that this was the guy who could do that. And I also think there's a little bit, and Iger has never said this, I think Iger looked at JPEG and said, okay, this guy is not me. He doesn't have the qualities that I have, and people are going to look more fondly upon me if I put this guy in, po- in power, he's
1: not going to make me look bad. Meaning, one, he won't screw up the company, but also, he's not going to outshine me. He's not. He's not going absolutely. Allow and Iger is that man. guy. Gonna absolutely. And Iger is that man. guy.
2: Iger likes the fact that he has become this international kind of CEO statesman type, and you know, his legacy is. Not, I mean, you could make the argument from a corporate perspective that your biggest job is succession and picking your successor, and that he kind of failed, or at least was not as good in that as some of the other things he did. But I think he also likes the fact that people look back fondly on him. By the way, the, the parallel
1: I thought about immediately when that, that was, was announced was, Oh, this reminds me of when Bob Iger took the job following Michael Eisner, who at the time was the legendary CEO of Disney long running debate about who would take that job. And when Iger was announced, uh, everyone said, "Well, this guy's a stuff suit. He doesn't. He has no charisma. Um, has no real connection. He's not a showman, and he doesn't know how to pick shows, etc." Like like Eisner does. He he clearly is going to be an interim uh, CEO, and then Eisner uh, Iger went on to have this great run. And I thought, you know, maybe 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 the, the, uh Iger remembers this playbook. You pick someone who is not who who everyone is not clamoring to have run Disney, and then he does a good job.
2: Yeah, and Iger wrote about this in his book, where he described being given that job and needing to prove himself, and he did pretty quickly. He mended the relationship with Steve Jobs. He ended up buying Pixar very soon after he was in power. Um, Then Marvel was soon after that. So he did a lot of things to change that narrative. And I also I disagree a little bit with the notion that Iger was not. Adept at the creative side of the business because he actually was. He had spent many years at ABC and you know had had come up through the creative ranks. The problem that Bob Chapek has is that he's the first CEO of the Walt Disney Company that doesn't have any experience on the creative side. Has never picked a show or made a movie or you know, looked at the development process for an animated film and says, do this, do, don't do that. He's never done any of that. So coming into the job, you're ultimately going to have to prove yourself to the creative community, and he really hasn't done that yet.
1: I mean, I, I was having this debate uh, on another podcast last week. Do you need to be a showman? Do you need to be a talent glad hander if you are running a mega conglomerate like Disney? Or do you need to have people under you who can do that work? Do you want the CEO of of Disney being
2: the sort of front person out there? I think yes. I think Disney is a completely unique company in corporate America. People go on vacation to your brand. They have an emotional connection to your brand. And there's a long history. I mean, Michael Eisner, when I was a kid, was on TV every Sunday night introducing the Sunday night Disney movie. And he was a corporate celebrity for lack of a better word I mean (laughs) Iger used to joke to people that the main qualification for his job was a 42 long meaning he fit the profile of the CEO of the Walt Disney company and Chapek is not that guy he doesn't look like that guy or act like him but I do think you need to have that kind of that presence to get up there and speak as the leader of the Disney company I wonder if that's a little bit of, I mean,
1: internally, the people have who work for you have to like you. I do wonder if, if that external thing is a, is a hangover of a different era where we had celebrity CEOs like Eisner or Lee Iacocca and Steve Jobs. And then a whole succession of people trying to emulate them and, and failing. And it turns, you know, I guarantee you my kids have no idea who Bob Iger was and who Bob Japik was. And they viewed Disney and Marvel properties based on, on whether they like them or not. But let's skip but ahead. Do, to, do your kids know
2: who Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are? Yeah, and they dislike both of them, right? They don't <laughs> Maybe, want to be Mark Maybe, but Zuckerberg. there is enough. My point is, the celebrity CEO hasn't really gone away. It's just shifted away from you know the the people of a previous generation to the tech people.
1: Yeah, I just think the notion that that equating their success as a spokesperson with the success of the company and the product may be misguided. And within Hollywood, I wonder about whether or not you need to have someone who's perceived as talent friendly or whether they have to employ people who are talent friendly. So we moved into Chapix era he 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 takes over Disney at you know in theoretically the worst time or maybe a good time because it's 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 a zero for a year, right? There's no parks, there's no cruises. Um and then Except the stock up. went up.
2: The, the stock, stock went up. During the pandemic went up because streaming and that's the only thing that Wall Street cares about is streaming. And then he has a high-profile fight with Scarlett Johansson, and
1: this is where it seems like having a little bit of emotional EQ would be a good thing for a leader. I think we talked about this a year ago. Yep. That story has faded. Um, it, it hasn't really faded within no. the community, though. People okay, remember. so you tell me. Do Are people I mean, still thinking of, of Bob Jacob as the, Chapek as the guy who fought with, with Scarlett Johansson for no reason?
2: Yes, because it was indicative of a couple things. It was a completely tone-deaf response to how to deal with an A-list piece of talent. And you know, the fact that it got to the point where she felt and her agents felt the only recourse was to sue is one thing. And then they put out that statement that attacked her and said that she was essentially greedy for asking for more money during the COVID shutdowns. That was a completely wrong-headed misstep uh, from a communications standpoint, and something that I believe Iger would have never done, so it really reinforced this perception within the community that Chapek doesn't understand talent and doesn't understand how you have to navigate talent. And I think that has not gone away. That is, you know, that but is But are people not do? That but are people
1: not doing work with Disney because of that? Do people not? Do they want to go somewhere else, or will ultimately with their checks? Their checks clear and they pay what they pay, and people will do the work.
2: That's a very hard thing to quantify because you never know who doesn't do the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's indicative also of the fact that Disney over the past few years has become very, very tough on deals. You know, when you're working with Disney, especially on a piece of IP that they own, the deals are horrible and they do lose talent because of that. There are people who will not do a Disney show because the deals are so bad. And without getting too far into the weeds, basically they moved closer to a
1: Netflix model where they're saying, we're going to pay you a bunch of money, but that's it. You get one check from us and then you're done. And there's no, you're not getting residuals. You're not getting bonuses. You, you do work for us. We pay you. That's it.
2: Yes. And especially if you work on a Marvel or a pre-existing IP show, because the Disney philosophy on that is we are bringing the value to this relationship. You are executing the vision to bring Loki or you know Obi-Wan to life. And we are the ones that, that have all the power there, which great, you can make that argument, but you're going to lose people. You're going to lose people that want that, that ep- economic upside and their representatives are very sophisticated and they know that they can get that elsewhere. So
1: by the end of last year, it turns out that the, the parks and, and cruise business, which have been decimated by pan, the pandemic, have come roaring back. Um, They have a record year in profits. Bob Chapek, the streaming business, which was maybe a little bit wobbly in the fall, seems like that has bounced back. Although there's maybe some funny numbers with how they're counting uh, ESPN subscribers, et cetera. It seems like Bob Chapek should be saying, look, I steered us out of the pandemic. We're doing well. We're streaming and people are coming to our parks. So
2: what's the problem? Well, okay, there are a couple issues there. First is that Wall Street doesn't care about the parks. Wall Street cares about the future of the streaming business and the transition from linear television to digital distribution. And on that front, all of these entertainment companies have been hurt by the projections that Netflix has put out that show that the market for streaming video may not be as robust as some have predicted it will be, and it's going to be very difficult to get to the numbers that people think that Netflix and the others can get to. You you talk about this all the
1: time. There may be fewer subscribers than people imagined, and also it turns out that streaming video is an expensive business, and, and there's not nearly as much profit as the old world, both of which you could have guessed going into this, but it seems to have now dawned on people.
2: Yes, and you do a great job on this show talking about all those issues. The second one is... I think a more cultural issue. Yes, JPEG has squeezed a lot of profit out of the parks. But if you talk to people in the parks community, they're really upset. Disney is perceived as gouging their customers and the switch, and this gets a little bit into the weeds, the switch from giving away these fast passes to people who buy admission to the park where you get to ride certain rides you know, uh, for an additional yeah. charge. They have switched to a system now where essentially you have to pay... For every little upcharge, and prices have gone up in all the parks, and it's a and they've gotten rid of the season pass where you can go whenever you want. You have to reserve time.
1: I was at all- Disney once where they had the Fast Pass system. It's a giant pain in the ass, but you could if you if you plotted it out and navigated it, you could get to see a handful of the rides you really wanted to do without having to spend additional money, and that's no longer the case.
2: That is no longer the case. They've switched to this genie system and it, it to the point where you can bring your family to Disneyland or Disney World, spend all this money, and you then don't get to go on the Star Wars ride that you have been planning to go on for a long time. And that has that really upset a lot of people. It's become a tiered system where you have to pay a lot more extra, and they defend this, and they say that, oh, we're just giving customers more choice, and there's a higher price point, a medium, and a low. But in the Disney Parks community, they absolutely have, have uh, responded When so you mean negatively. community, you mean fans of the parks? Or do you mean people fans who work the there parks. or both? Fans of the parks are uh-huh. really upset by that. And then you have JPEG going on these earnings calls talking about how the parks revenue is soaring and it's really making up for you know problems in other areas. And that, I think, has given him this bad reputation. Now, whether it matters, whether it's, you know, the shareholders probably like that. Um, The other thing that they're struggling with, obviously, is the Florida situation. And that was his response to the Florida don't say gay law, which is the euphemism for uh, the, the law that that doesn't allow discussion of sexual orientation or anything in, in uh, a lot of classrooms. His
1: initial response was, we're not going to weigh in on this. Um, we just spent four years, the Trump era where big corporations were expected. My, my My predecessor was expected to take stances on social issues, political issues. We're not doing that. This seems like a cautious and sensible uh, point of view, especially for a consumer-facing company where we've got to uh, serve people from all from all kinds of demography and political beliefs. How'd that go over?
2: It went over very poorly, and it ended up causing the exact kind of politicization that they were hoping to avoid. And it gets to a larger question. You know, we don't know about Chapek's personal politics. I am betting he is more conservative than Bob Iger, who had used the Disney platform to potentially run for president as a Democrat and had taken stands on things like the Georgia heartbeat bill and the Trump Muslim ban, things like that. Chapek decides that he wants to pull back from that and he wants to be down the middle. And he brings into his inner circle these two former George W. Bush officials. Um, one is a chief of staff and one is his chief corporate officer who runs the communication strategy. And that they decided that they were going to publicly say that they're not taking a stand. And in this day and age, when you run a creative media company that has you know thousands of LGBTQ employees, that's not good enough. They expect you to have their back and to take a position on these, especially on an issue like the Florida law, which they don't consider a political issue. They consider it a human rights issue. So it completely backfired. He walks back that decision. He comes out against the law. And then Florida governor Ron DeSantis uses that as a punching bag to go to town.
1: And so he's now he's now and 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 since then it's quite astonishing to see uh, uh, folks on Fox News now spending a bunch of time beating up on Disney when Rupert Murdoch, their boss, uh, is is most likely the second biggest shareholder in Disney. But it's it's become a it's like you said it, it is now a, a punching bag, especially on the right. And the left is unhappy with him as well. And that has big
2: of, that has big repercussions. I got a text from one of these people that's in the Disney fan community who runs a site that sells Disney tickets. And he asked me, he's like, why are people canceling? Like I've had all of these cancellations of my service the last couple of weeks. And I said, are you aware of what's going on on Fox news? And have you been on Twitter where boycott Disney is a trending hashtag? I do think this stuff has an impact on the business.
1: I was going to ask because I was thinking of Colin Kaepernick and Nike a few years ago, probably more than a few years ago, where for a minute, you know, you had people on Twitter lining up to burn their Air Jordans or whatever, because Nike had stood with with Colin Kaepernick, had explicitly endorsed him. Um, And I bet you that most people who were complaining then um, can't remember they were angry about Nike and there's a tweet going around from JD Vance, uh, uh, a senatorial candidate uh, backed by Peter Thiel, uh, complaining about uh, Disney and then there's a subsequent tweet from him complaining that he can't stream something he can't stream in Canto or something and it seems like <laughs> this is something you can say on Twitter and there's political benefit for you to saying it. It's another thing to actually have someone cancel a vacation to a thing their family really wants to go see and was planning
2: on spending thousands of dollars on. But you think that's happening? I, I do think it's happening. I don't know on what kind of scale, but if you look at what happened to Netflix over the controversy around Cuties, do you remember that documentary? I do. You know, we didn't pay that much of attention to it in as it was happening. But when you look at the numbers on Netflix and their subscribers and sort of the activity, there was a significant, not, not. Too significant, but there was a blip there around it, the it, cuties it, controversy because it tapped into QAnon stuff. And I remember at the time, being
1: told, this is an out, out, this is a, this is outliers, this is Twitter stuff. And subsequently, heard from people up top at Netflix going, Yeah, we screwed that one up, and that was actually meaningful to us. And we wish we would the, have done it differently.
2: And anytime, I mean, if you look at Fox News and the discourse now, Disney is being labeled pro pedophile, mm-hmm. which I mean, they're saying that they they are grooming kids with the same sex oriented content thing. I mean, just outrageous stuff like that. But that's the kind of thing that does resonate with certain people and can cause them to either cancel a subscription or cancel a a vacation. And I don't know how big. I mean, they haven't revealed this. I mean, I guess on the next earnings call, we'll see a a company that size. I think we're not going to see a huge impact, but I do think it matters. You, I mean, eventually, you know, if
1: there's real impact on the parks business, you'll see it. And and to underline this, even though uh, Disney is a California based company, uh, Florida is enormously important uh, to its business. That's where a, t- a ton of that parks uh, business is and the cruise business. So let's let's guess for, for now that they sort of weather this and, and things go back to normal ish. Um, what does Bob Chapek need to do to keep his job? It's kind of wild that he's only had it for a couple of years. And in theory, he's, he's up for renewal uh, at the beginning of next year.
2: Yeah, he's got until February to fix this. And I, I think it's going to be a combination of factors. He's got to fix the stock price. I mean, investors have to feel confident that this is a guy with a vision that can really paint out the next five years, seven years as to where this company is going. And then I think the investor community might get behind him. Uh, a little bit more, and then he's got to quell these fires of the culture wars that are going on. And I think they are doing things to fix that. They brought in a new head of communications, um, Christina Shockey, who has a history of dealing with LGBTQ issues. She was a big proponent of um, of overturning Prop 8 in California, which was the same the the marriage equality initiative that ultimately was endorsed by the Supreme Court. She has a good reputation and comes from the Obama, I'm sorry, the Biden and the Obama administrations. Yeah, and worked at in Instagram. So that's a good step uh, for their communication strategy. I think they've also got to mend fences internally and, quote, do the work and reach out to these employees and say, okay, we're hearing you. We screwed up. This is how we're going to fix things. Is there serious conversation about, all right, if
1: Chapek. JPEC- goes who's going to come in is that is it that level of conversation now Or is it just sort of a it's thing hollywood like you, you and kidding? i bouncing around it's thing hollywood like you, you and kidding? I
2: bouncing everybody talks about that stuff i mean you know, you saw these individual leaders of different divisions put out their own statements around the don't say gay stuff. And that was perceived as, you know, you got you kind of have to do that for your employees when there's something controversial. They need to know that you are in their corner. But it also externally showed who was positioning themselves. Obviously, Peter Rice, who was a longtime Murdoch executive and joined Disney in that merger. Um, He is a career content executive and a well-liked person within the creative community. Uh, People think that he could step in um, if there is a need after Chapek. You know, Rice says he's very happy. He doesn't, he is not angling for the top job, but who knows, of course. Uh, You know, and then there's a couple of others internally that I think would like to make a, a play for it, but there's no obvious person that is like sitting there as a number two waiting and everybody knows it's going to happen. And that was part of the problem that led to Pick in the first place.
1: I'm trying to think of a, a parallel situation where someone comes in after a revered popular leader and it so immediately runs into these landmines and, and keeps stepping on them. Um, and people are so eager to pile on. Is it anything analogous in your mind?
2: Uh, I'm trying to think I'm sure there are. I mean, uh, you know, Iger was very adept when he came in, um, it's a tough
1: one in media where these things, these transitions don't happen that often. And even when the person is unlike, like Philippe Demont, Wall Street liked them. Yeah. Um, so he stayed I mean, around forever.
2: You know, the, the, the Les Moonves transition at CBS when he was forced out, you know, they brought in Joe Iannello, who was a number two there and was sort of, but he was always kind of the interim guy mm-hmm. and he was never supposed to be long term. And then ultimately they merged the companies and gave him a huge payout to go away. Can you, can you lay our people, you know, people
1: revere Bob Iger. They're also scared of him. They were definitely scared of him when he ran Disney. Uh, A lot of the, the, you know, people in our jobs complain about his comms persons and Yamuka, but it was really Bob Iger um, who, who was very concerned about his public image. Is it fair to blame Iger for any of the problems that Chapek has now? Iger is the one that put Disney on this stream, stream, stream trajectory Said, kind of, don't worry about the profits. We're gonna, we're gonna make it up with volume. And now Wall Street is questioning that. But that's Chapek's problem, not Iger's.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of these things Chapek is dealing with are Iger initiatives. Even, you know, the Pixar staff put out this statement saying that they, their content had been censored over the years from, uh, you know, having same-sex content in Pixar movies. Well, you know, most of that stuff occurred under Iger, so it didn't look great for him, even though mm-hmm. the. Same-sex kiss in the Buzz Lightyear movie was under JPEG. But, you know, Iger did put them on this trajectory for streaming. And a lot of what the problems have, have – a lot of the issues with the Disney streaming service has been that they chased scale rather than profits. And the the big thing with that, I think, is the pricing. Disney Plus was priced so low at the beginning to generate this massive momentum and to get the headlines and the stock community out there very excited about Disney Plus as a true competitor to Netflix. And now the bill has come now the bill is coming due because you look at the 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 you know average revenue per user and it's very low for Disney plus and much lower than the competitors like Netflix or HBO Max and now they've got this deal in India coming up where you know a third of the Disney plus subscribers are in India and the people who subscribe For virtually nothing to watch cricket. And now they have to decide if they're going to bid against Amazon and a bunch of others to keep those subscribers who pay very little or sacrifice the scale and use that money elsewhere. It's a very, very tough decision. I'm going to pay attention
1: to this. I'm going to pay attention to what you write about this. I'm going to pay attention to your stories about having lunch
2: with high-profile executives. And Bob Iger shows up. I did it was want to dinner. And one. by the way, I would like to clarify something. People are like, "Oh, why would I ever go to dinner with you if you're going to write about it?" If but let's authentic? let's said, explain
1: this. If, if you're not reading, if you're not reading Matt's Matt's newsletter, what's the anecdote in question here?
2: So I I went to dinner with Jeff Morrell, who's the chief corporate officer for Disney, who's the architect of a lot of the stuff around "Don't Say Gay," and we saw. Iger, three tables away, having dinner with his wife, Willow. And they came over, were very nice. The two of them had never met. And I could tell Iger sort of had a sense of the shit... Can I say shitstorm? Yes. shitstorm that was about to come to Disney. So I'm writing about this topic. And because it was an off-the-record dinner, I asked Jeff Morrell if I could use that detail, the fact that we saw Iger. He said yes. I put it in my column. And I had all these people emailing me saying... How dare you write about this off the record dinner? I was like, of course I asked him before I wrote about it. It was first of all, it was a great anecdote. He recognized that and he let me use it. If yeah, you're a very
1: good column writer, you're a very smart operator. I got, I, I, I fielded one of those questions from someone as well. How could Matt do this? Who's ever going to have lunch or dinner with him again? I said, no, no, he didn't. He didn't disclose anything other than he had dinner. Which is cool to disclose, and that he's hanging out with Bob Iger and Willow Bay. Also cool uh, to disclose. Hanging
2: out is a bit of a stretch. They said you can,
1: hello. You can dine that out on fun. that. <laughs> they, they said hello. All right. Thank you for saying hello to me, Matt Bellany. Right. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt. In a minute, we'll hear from Jane Cosen from the New York
0: Times. But first, a word from a sponsor Hi, we're visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously, hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month, every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.
1: I'm here with Jane Koston, my former coworker at Vox.com. She's now at the New York Times. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. Jane's specialty is conservative politics and conservative media, and she's the perfect person to speak to about the political side of the Don't Say Gay bill. It's now a law now, correct?
3: That is. It is correct. And
1: and Disney's handling of it, and and whether we're going to see more of this in the future. Jane, can you briefly summarize what the Don't Say Gay law actually means? Because there's an ongoing debate about that that you are on top of.
3: Right. Uh, I think it's very important to be very clear about what it actually says, because I'm always entertained by the people who are like, well, the word gay isn't in it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, but the word sexual orientation is. It's HB 1557. And the the focal point of the bill is uh, Section 3, which reads as follows. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade 3 or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Now, there are a couple of important things about that. You you may notice I emphasized the words or because Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty important because what does developmentally appropriate mean? I don't know. And Florida has no state standards on how to talk about sexual orientation or gender identity. I looked up their state standards on um, sex ed, which this is not a sex ed bill. Very important to make that clear. And it has to do with like that the, you know, the best family formation is a monogamous heterosexual relationship, ideally a marriage, which, you know, that's going to be tough for gay kids. But I, I think it's really important to be very clear about what this bill actually says, which is that we don't know. What it will actually say, because one of the other important pieces of this bill is that it is based largely on a parental right of action. So essentially, a parent will and will inevitably sue a school or school district over something that takes place in the classroom that they deem to be not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for their child. Whether it is or not will have to be determined by a court.
1: And that's the big point, right? It's right. meant to encourage parents to step in and say, I don't like what the school district is doing to my poor child. They're trying to make them gay or lesbian or trans is, is right. the intent and it, here.
3: And it's interesting how the bill, I, I have a, a little bit of a series on Twitter where I am discussing this, in which I, write, I talk about how the bill is described in conservative media and what the text of the bill says. So for instance, the conservative website hotair.com said that there was a mischaracterization of the bill because the bill was to stop teachers from, quote, discussing explicit sexual subjects in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do that. There is no mention uh, in the bill of sex ed whatsoever. Hypothetically, you could still discuss the most explicit sexual activities imaginable. I mean, you probably shouldn't, and it wouldn't end well for you, but you could, and that would not be prevented by HB 1557. And what it, it has been interesting, the message creep of this bill um, that we've seen where at first, it was just about, oh, I, we're, you know, we're very confused and we don't like how issues relating to gender identity are being discussed with kids. And then it became, you started seeing this messaging creep, or then it became about like teachers who bring up or mention their sexual orientation. And what bring up or mention means is left to the imagination. Um, There have been a couple of references to like, you you don't want a teacher to mention that they are gay or a lesbian. um, Or that they would be, you know, the the entire thing, you you may have seen some discourse online where like, you know, I never learned anything about my teachers at all. Which Mm -hmm. I'm like, I went to Catholic school. And we had an entire lesson in uh, high school once where our teacher gave a very long diatribe about her divorce. So I knew a lot about a lot of my teachers. Um, but it, it is interesting how this has it, the messaging creep that's happened in um, a lot of conservative circles. And and you see some attempts to push back on this of like, oh, you know, this the grooming thing isn't helpful. You don't need to say that. And it's not working, but it it has the the way in which the messaging has expanded from, you know, this is just about gender identity issues. To oh, this is also about gay people too. Oh, this is also about gay teachers existing. It, it's a it's a fascinating example of how when you have vague legislation, people will project onto it whatever they kind of want to project onto it. And this is very vague legislation, and we're seeing the same types of vague legislation being promoted in Georgia. We're seeing the same types of legislation being promoted in Ohio, where I'm from. And so we're seeing the spread of these types of legislation. But not all of them include the parental right of action, but Georgia's would apply to private schools. So it's interesting how even the school choice argument doesn't quite work there either.
1: So you follow this stuff for a living. My sense from watching it from afar is frequently you will see bills like this proposed and brought up. And they, no one expects them to actually become law, or even if they expect them to become law, they expect them to be struck down. They are meant purely as political rallying cries for a group of voters that presumably you think you're going to rally to your side um, by proposing them. And it's kind of theater. Do you have a sense of, of where this bill fits in that continuum of like things that people thought would be fun to have discussed on Fox News or would bring voters in, in Florida to the to the ballot versus this is an actual law that they wanted to have in place because they actually believe in the, the wording of the law.
3: Well, I think that at a certain point... Um, are, is swearing allowed on this podcast? Yes, yeah, swear it up. You're the um, second person to
1: ask that in this episode, by the way.
3: Yeah, so um, there is a former uh, federal prosecutor, Ken White, um, who goes by Popat on Twitter, and he has this thing called the Rule of Goats, which is that even if you're fucking a goat, ironically, you're still fucking a goat, and even if you're putting forward legislation such as this as a messaging vehicle, mm-hmm. with I guess some foreknowledge, shall we say, that it's going to get struck down, you're still doing it. You're still yeah. doing it with the intention, you know, the, you can't, you don't necessarily. I'll accidentally get a bill passed, especially because efforts to make this legislation about sex, sex acts, sexual activity, there was an effort by to amend the legislation to be about sexual activity, and it failed because... This is people, one of the
1: things Disney said they did after right, the fact. They said, we tried right. to actually make this less awful.
3: Right, right. And so I think that... For one thing, it is now a law. And yes, there are lawsuits that are pending because, of course, there are. Because, again, asking, you know, requiring teachers to bear the brunt and the implicit silencing of this type of legislation where it's like, well, we don't really know what this bill is going to do, but just don't say anything and you won't get sued. I, I think that that in itself is a ramification of this legislation. Like, yeah, it's a messaging vehicle, but now it's a law.
1: We just came out of an era where lots of public companies, in many cases for the first time, either took it upon themselves or were forced to take political stands, often against Donald Trump and, and some of his policies. And it appears that Bob Chapek, the current CEO of Disney, said, you know what, that era is done and we, we're Disney, we have to serve everyone in the country. We're going to stay out of this stuff, and we're not going to take sides. And that was his original message. Can you understand that impulse that he would have had and say, hey, some people think this, some people think the other. We're just going to let everyone work it out, and we're Disney.
3: I mean, I think that that's that's something that Disney has attempted in the past. But I also think, let's keep in mind, let's turn back the clock a little bit to the mid-1990s. I was a child. You were doing something. Still old. Um, I was still old. When Disney started providing uh, partner benefits to gay and lesbian employees, the Southern Baptist Convention announced this giant boycott because this was terrible. Also, this is around the time that um, Disney—I believe this is part uh, of—around the time of the giant merger in which technically Disney was owned, the parent company owned the company that made like Pulp Fiction, and so the Southern Baptist Convention was very upset about this. So. There really is, for Disney, a damned if you do, damned if you don't type moment, because now you are seeing, especially, again, this goes with the messaging creep that meant, that I was talking about, where you see Breitbart putting out articles that were like, oh, this grooming material. And all they're listing are just examples of gay people being in Disney stuff, I wanna, not even I wanna, doing I wanna, anything. I
1: want to spell spell out the the, the grooming stuff, because this is now become, this is what I wanted to talk, another part of this I wanted to talk to you about, was this. Right. Disney has now become uh, Fox News in particular, but but a lot of the right wing media um, is now going all in on attacking Disney. Not for initially it was they're too woke, and now it's they are they are pro grooming. Explain what that is supposed to mean.
3: What grooming actually is is, and I think that there have been some very brave people who have talked about their own experiences of childhood sexual abuse, in which someone um, you know you have. An older person, someone you know, who essentially grooms you to be easier to manipulate for the purposes of sexual abuse.
1: This is a large part of the Jeffrey Epstein case.
3: Right, exactly. That like attempting to break down barriers here. Now, what these people are appearing to argue is that depict that they don't actually mean sexual abuse at all they mean something very different and I think that it, it, it's really worth getting at what they are actually saying so I'm going to quote here um, from a conservative writer Rod Dreher, who's been very into this and so he says no 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 this has nothing to do with being a sexual predator it says <clears throat> I think it is coming to have a somewhat broader meaning. An adult who wants to separate children from a normative sexual and gender identity to inspire confusion in them and to turn them against their parents and all the normative traditions and institutions of society. It may not specifically be to groom them for sexual activity, but it is certainly to groom them to take on a sexual gender identity at odds with the norm, which... There are a lot so of we're not, say, we're not
1: saying that you, the teacher, are necessarily going to uh, abuse right, your children. You're opening the door to to gate them and right. sort of pushing them through the door.
3: Exactly. And obviously, one, that's not what anyone thinks of when they hear the term grooming. What, you, what everyone is hearing is, oh, teachers are all pedophiles. And you're seeing David Mamet making that argument on Fox News, which this news cycle has gone straight to hell. But again, the idea here is that one per Rod Dreyer and some conservatives, is that if you are gay or lesbian or trans, it is because at some point you weren't, and then something happened. You saw a movie, or you saw a TV show, or there was a gay character briefly in the background of a Star Wars movie you didn't finish and that wasn't very good. I the rise of Skywalker is involved in this all. Like it, it gets like a lot of people must have been looking at IMDB very carefully. But the idea is then, at that moment, that's what happened. That's what broke down all the barriers. You would have been just a nice normal straight person, but you saw one movie and that's it. That's all that happened. And the idea here one is that there's no such thing as a gay kid or a trans kid. It's just like, they would have been normal until an adult told them not to be normal. And I think that that gets... At, that's why there's been such messaging creep, is that we're going back to this awful Save Our Children, Anita Bryant, late 1970s idea that like, oh, the only way you get a homosexual is through a recruitment. That you can't be gay unless something happens. Somebody, you, is, fell, you fell into the gay swamp like Briar this is the Rabbit. Same-
1: this is the same Republican Party that had Peter Thiel speak, first openly gay uh, right. speaker at the RNC convention um, five years ago now. Has has something shifted in Republican politics where they, after after being really anti-gay for a long time, they've sort of tolerated it and now have rethought it? Is this uh, a marginal group in Republican politics? Are we conflating a bunch of things where you've got people in Brooklyn and Berkeley saying, a lot of trans kids in my kids' public school, and that's different. I don't know how I feel about that. And then also at the other end of the spectrum, you're courting QAnon by uh, making references to pedophilia, and and you're winking and nodding, and you know exactly what you're I mean, doing. Is it or I, it's, uh, what, it's what is actually a, happening?
3: I think we're kind of in a yes and moment, uh-huh. and I think that part of this is that you know, and I've written about this before, is that if you think of the Republican Party as a big tent party, which it, it has attempted to be so. Um, you have a bunch of competing groups. And I think what you saw under Trump was an effort to placate but ignore social conservatives in a lot of different ways. You saw that, um, you see how social conservatives felt about the Bostock su- uh, Supreme Court decision that had to do with trans folks. You saw that a sense of like, we were promised all of this because Donald Trump would promise literally anyone to any- anything sure. to anyone. But I think that this is a moment in which social conservatives who are, you know, you, you give them an inch and they'll take a mile in which they think that, oh, yes, people, you know, we're having, there are more conversations about gender identity. There is an increasing number of people who appear to be identifying as LGBT. Granted, those growth of numbers is largely with my people, bisexual people. And also, I, I remain unclear. I, I was talking to a conservative writer a couple days ago, which is like, well, then what would be the accurate number of LGBT people? Like The implication here is that there is the right number, and then there are too many people who appear to be have given in mm-hmm. to quote-unquote social contagion. And so I think that this is this is a moment in which you had kind of a center right view that gender identity discussions were going too far, coupled with the belief that this was an example of social contagion. But then you have the social conservatives who were like, no, 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 we didn't like, we weren't mad about Obergefell. We've been mad for the last seven years about that, and now they have come back with a vengeance by making these arguments that are like. No, 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 like, now we're mad about gay teachers all of a sudden. We're mad about gay people writ large. And you're seeing this in um, specific quotes from figures like Charlie Kirk uh, from The Turning Point, who is saying that, like, oh, we gave them marriage, but that wasn't enough, and now they want your kids, which I'm like, again, straight up, it's 1978 all over again. And so I I think that there is a real sense of – that's one of the complicated things because I've – heard and talked to gay republicans who are just like they and it is interesting to me that there is this belief that like okay you know if we just don't talk about trans people they'll, they'll never come for us and i'm like it's like children of the corn they always want you malachi like they'll come for you it, it's they're never going to be like oh no no lesbians make total sense though I, I will note that a lot of people being targeted are gay men and trans women And so I think it's important to note that, like, the Republican Party, like the Democratic Party, like any political party, is a a collection of differing interest groups. And what we're seeing now is this attempt to, again, talk, you know, you're seeing the reemergence of social conservatives who've always been very conservative on this specific issue, and they're coming into conflict with a wider party that has tried to placate them, and the existence of actual gay conservatives. Let's
1: role play for a second. Let's say you are Bob Chapek. You run Disney. You have a giant business, beloved brand. Your business is contingent on getting people all around the world, all around America to consume your content and then also to come to your theme parks and go on your cruises. You cannot afford to have a large swath of the population hate you or be worried about you. You employ plenty of people who are who are gay, um, LGBTQ. Um, How do you navigate this? I, I, I understand the impulse to sit this one out. Apparently you can't. So what do you do?
3: I mean, I think that you have to do what Disney would always do, which is you wait it out. And it, it's interesting because we just saw that um, there was news. This is obviously a di- different company that um, a potential gay plot line involved in the upcoming um, Harry Potter extended universe movie is being removed in China. And you see a lot of conservatives were very upset about that. And then I'm like, but you want these same plot lines removed in movies shown in America. So it's like, you'll we never be We don't want happy. you to
1: be soft on China when it
3: comes to games. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so the, I think that contortion. what I mean, if I were Disney, I would say, hello, I am a massive, powerful corporation. Your boycott efforts have historically never really worked out. Because you are the same people who are not quite aware that Disney owns like ESPN. And so if you're watching Monday Night Baseball, correct, you are are enjoying a Disney production. Um, But I think what they will do is essentially wait it out. Because the Disney Corporation is well aware that they can just keep on keeping on. And there will be something else. There will always be something else. But what gets me is that the Disney Corporation... I don't, like, they are not the victims here. They are a very powerful corporation that will also excise any LGBT content for any reason. And that's why, in many cases, in a lot of movies, if there is, like, a gay kiss in passing, it'll happen in a scene that's non-essential, so it can be easily cut for audiences in other countries. It's the same way that, like, if you are doing a movie that predominantly features black people and you want to do it in China you rearrange the movie poster to make all the black people Mm -hmm. go away like I'm aware of how corporations actually work, but I think that the risk here again is that this is intended to target teachers and target LGBT people, and there are going to be a host of teachers and people involved in schools who are going to be forced to pay thousands of dollars in court fees so that at some point, some circuit judge somewhere will finally say what this bill is supposed to do.
1: Do you think there's any chance that this isn't one that Disney can sit out? Matt Bellany from Puck was on previously. He said, anecdotally, I'm hearing that people are starting to cancel some of their trips to Disney. Do you think there's any chance that people would do that in meaningful numbers that show up and, and Disney's business actually suffers because of this?
3: No. I think that because uh, the people who are, for one thing, it is interesting to me that the people like the thing about any sort of like very specific protest movement is that a lot of times they are they're hard to maintain for anyone. So, for example, um, my parents in the early nineteen eighties. I don't know if you would have remembered the Nestle brothers scandal. No. Um, So there was. A long time um, effort in the 1970s in which they were Nestle was accused of getting women in developing countries um, hooked on a baby formula and then restricting it and, and then like taking it away. It was a it was a very big thing. And there's been a long time boycott of Nestle. My parents have never purchased Nestle products. They have been uh, essentially protesting Nestle since the mid-1970s. My parents got married in 1979. And that is, for many people, not what they are going to do. They are going to perform their uh, abhorrence of the Disney Corporation. And then like J.D. Vance, they're going to go right back to talking about how awesome the original Star Wars movies are.
1: That is my intuition as well, but we never know. And my last question for you, do you think that now that they have managed to elevate this into a national thing i mean if you're Ron DeSantis, this is what you've wanted right you want um, your state to be out leading on this because you think it's going to win you votes that there are other big consumer-facing companies that are going to come in for this treatment down the line or is there something particular about disney that makes it susceptible and i know you don't have any sympathy for them but a but a, a good target for this stuff Disney. oh
3: absolutely i think so i think so but i think that again it's going to be like how um you know the attempted do you remember that there was this whole thing of people trying to throw out their keurig coffee makers no I think that- but i was I-,
1: I was thinking about nike and kaepernick uh, right exactly
3: and it just is like what is these companies are very very large and they do a lot of i would say ethic ethically bad things but one of the things about being a very large company is that at a certain point, you can just wait things out. Like, some people are going to be really mad at you. And then some people are going to buy more stuff because these other people are mad at you. That's how culture wars work. Like, you are going to get people who specifically will go to Disney because they interpret that you are LGBT friendly. And you know we saw that back when uh, one of the big scandals facing Disney was the gay days. They started unintentionally in the 1990s that you saw people who were like, I am a gay parent. Thank God for Disney. And I think that there's a degree to which Disney is going to be like, we'll lose some, we'll win some, and we'll come out exactly where we were.
1: Jane Costen from the New York Times. My only regret is that it took you going to the New York Times for me to have a podcast with you, but I'm glad you came on. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thanks again to Jane. Thanks again to Matt. Thanks again to Jelani and Travis for producing and editing the show. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing it to you for free zero dollars would you guys pay for this podcast anyway it's free you don't have to um and thanks to you guys for listening and reading and writing this is recode media we're back next week
0: hi we're visible we're the wireless company with nothing to hide seriously hidden fees we don't have them annual contracts not our thing